Hey, how's it going, everybody? This is Chris. Welcome to episode 72 of X-Lapsed. And, uh, well, wave two of the Dawn of X books just keeps on rolling on. We are back to uh, Wolverine. And today we'll be continuing with the first story that appeared in Wolverine number one. If you remember, that was two full-length stories. Um, I'm guessing they're either going to wrap one up and then go to the other, or maybe we'll interchange because... Marvel clearly doesn't care about people buying these week to week and only only really cares about the trade paperbacks. But uh, as always, we'll do our best. Okay, it's Wolverine, Volume 7, Number 2, at a May 2020 cover date. The story's called Your Own Worst Enemy, written by Benjamin Percy with art by Adam Cubitt. Colors, Frank Martin, led his VCs, Corey Petit. Designs, Tom Muller, head of X's Hickman. Edits, Robinson, White, Sobalski. Cover price, $3.99. And this one went on sale March 25th of 2020. Now, we don't open with the Wolverine. We actually open on board the Marauder. And we're somewhere in the Pacific Ocean. Here, we see some of the Marauders, uh, Iceman and Pyro specifically, dumping a bunch of petals into the sea like they were uh, colonists annoyed by taxes. Now, it's the pale girl who's making them do this, it seems. Um, Bishop, he's here too, but he's pretty shocked by his teammates' behavior. He's not, you know, being controlled. Uh, or so he thinks. Before he could do anything to stop them, however, he is knocked off the boat by a strong gust of wind that storm has whooped up. Bishop hits the drink, where he envisions himself being dragged to the bottom by a zombified call-me-Kate and Lockheed. Okay... From here we get our roll call, and it's a short one. Wolverine, the Morlock Healer, Jeff Bannister, and the Pale Girl. Then a couple of pages of credits. We get back to comics, and we get a good look at what happened before the start of the last issue. Now, if you recall, I wasn't too keen on this because I feel like it's something that's been, no pun intended, done to death. Now, this volume, it started with Wolverine knelt in some bloody snow after what looked like a full-scale slaughter of his X-Force teammates, Gene, Quentin, and Domino. You know, that old chestnut. Well, any guesses on how he got here? Uh, you see, the thing of it was, he didn't picture them as Gene, Quentin, and Domino. He imagined these three people around him as being Sabretooth, Dr. Cornelius, and Lady Deathstrike, which is why he killed them all. So yeah, there's clarification. He actually did kill all three of them. And it uh, makes me wonder, are they trying to do something about me pointing out that Jean has died less times than most Marvel heroes at this point by just, like, racking up her body count a bit? Um, also, if we pause for a second here, you mean to tell me that Ben Percy wrote two stories this month where Domino was killed? Really? We killed Domino twice in one month? We'll talk more about that later. 
We finally arrive in the present, and Wolverine is laid out on the healer's table at Krakoa's healing gardens. He wakes up and asks how he got here. We learn that he passed out in the snow, and our friend Jeff Bannister carried him to a nearby, or as close as possible, Krakoan gateway. Also with a note that Wolverine owes him both a phone call and a beer. So I kind of like this Bannister guy. The healer then reveals to Wolverine that everything that's happening to him, as in the visions and the loss of control and whatnot, uh, are happening to many of his teammates. And Logan looks to the side to see Bishop is laid out on the table next to him. So Bishop, he's got some visions as well. Next, an info page, and it's more about the Marauder going off-route and losing a bunch of pedals. Next stop, Baltimore, where Jeff Bannister is snoozing in his daughter's hospital room. She wakes him up to let him know that Miss Millie had tried calling him many, many times. He decides to take the call, and he learns that a pair of special agents that have been put on the pollen case have both hurt themselves in very brutal ways. One slit their wrists and jumped off a five-story building. I guess that's uh, maybe overcommitting to the bit a little bit. Uh, The other one pressed a hot iron into her face. Uh, What's more, they both mentioned a pale girl. So this pale girl is definitely a thing. Now, Jeff isn't sure what his next play should be because the pale girl's on to him, clearly. His daughter suggests that uh, since the mutants are responsible for all of this mess, maybe, maybe Daddy ought to work alongside some mutants in fixing it. He hems and he haws, but ultimately realizes that she's right. And I figure it's a good thing that one of the most prominent mutants on the planet owes him a favor, innit? We jump back to Krakoa, and we're in the hatchery. Cyclops is watching Jean Grey percolate in her gold ball. Wolverine shows up to apologize for what had happened at his hands, and he promises to make things right. Scott, eh, he doesn't even say anything. He leaves without saying a single word. Next up, an info page. It's more about the loss of these shipments, and, uh... There's really no reason why both of our info pages couldn't have been combined into one here. This feels just like a waste of pages. Next stop, we're back to comics, and we're in Langley, Virginia. Bannister and Meredith Millie are at the shooting range, where Jeff gives her the lay of his plan. He's going to try to fake the pale girl out by saying the investigation has been called off. Only he's going to keep going at it with the help of a, a very prominent and hairy mutant. Millie produces some video evidence that the pale girl of the pale girl that she'd gotten from a hotel security feed, and Jeff tells her to delete it. You know, we don't want we don't want anyone to know we're onto them, basically. Later on, we jump to Jeff's house, and he's watering his very well manicured lawn while chatting up Wolverine. Jeff makes a lot of allusions comparing their current situations to uh, problems that might face his uh, his well manicured lawn. He asks Wolverine how to deal with something like this, and uh, they agree that there's really only one option here, and uh, that is to kill it. Jeff then points out a scar on his cheek, and he says he got it as collateral damage in one of the many mutant wars that have happened over the years. So, you know, he's clearly got no love loss for Logan's kind, it seems, but uh, at the end of it, Logan agrees to help him out. And so we jump to uh, our ending. Uh, we're on a small boat in the Pacific where Bannister and Wolverine are trying to tempt the pale girl out into the open by dumping some petals into the drink. Then, Meredith Millie calls them into the cabin to go over some notes. And while Bannister is looking at her tablet, snicked, Wolverine guts him. Millie is revealed as being the pale girl. Dun dun dun? Eh? Okay. We wrap up with Wolverine taking the wheel and driving the boat somewhere. And we're out of here. That is Wolverine number two. Next episode, we will wrap up the Dawn of X Wave 1 number nines with X-Men, but uh, 
How about we talk about this? Um, I think right out the gate, this was a very quick read. <laughs> very, very quick. Uh, and I can't say that nothing happened here because it, you know, plenty actually did. But it still just doesn't feel like it matters all that much. This might... This might go back to some of my earliest trepidations regarding this era. You know, when we learned about the resurrection protocols and stuff, um, I worried about the direction, you know? Um, and the whole thing here that so, so many of these stories hinge on the, like, constant death of our cast members. And I mean... We've talked about the shifting stakes in Hawks, Fox, Docs, right? I mean, that's something that I probably mention far too often. Uh, we looked at the most recent issue of Marauders, for example, where we had that fake-out scene. You know, Pyro and Emma looked like they were killed, and it was just a fake-out. But we bought it because this is Hawks, Fox, Docs. Here, we have the apparent deaths of Jean Grey, Domino, and Quentin Quire. And here I was hoping that it would be revealed as a fake-out because the body count has reached what I consider to be my personal tipping point here. It's changed in that I'm not worried about deaths anymore. Now I just don't care about them. They rendered it not just... They didn't just lower the stakes. They, they, I just don't care. They're meaningless. Um, and, you know, on that subject, I was considering doing something like a State of the X-Book segment pretty soon. Maybe in our 75th episode. Maybe I'll hold it off to the 100th. I don't know. Um, and I figure, like, there, I would just start marking all the deaths. You know, we would just talk about, okay, well, this person died in this issue and came back, just to, just so we have it on record, basically, for the show. And I never thought we'd have multiples for so many characters, you know? Um, and it's just so hard to care. I, I said it during the synopsis, Domino died twice this month, written by the same dude, she died twice, and they tried to make the first death into something meaningful, right? Um, but clearly, that life that she came back with, you know, she came back with this new lease on life where everything's hunky-dory and she's lost all of her pain. Well, she dies again just very, very shortly thereafter. It renders the first, it renders everything meaningless. Uh, Quentin Quire, he died twice in two months. He had his decapitated from his head <laughs> from that issue of X-Force just a couple issues back. And here he's dead again. And Jean, she's died twice since House of X number one. You know, she died during the Mother Mold mission, and here she dies again in the snow. It's so hard to stay invested. It's hard to care. It's hard to... I, I just don't like it. It's too much. And not only am I past my death tipping point, I feel like we're also at a place where so much is happening between all of these books that it's hard to accept everything as being important. Does that make sense? I mean, I just mentioned Domino died in that issue of X-Force, and it was poignant, and it was built to, and it made sense. But here she's dead again. So, like, if everything is important, then really nothing is important, right? Because everything is just as important as the next thing. And, I mean, on top of that, we have to question when all of this is happening, because clearly there are, there are more hours in a day on Krakoa than there are in the rest of the world, because so much crap's going down. And I've mentioned it before, but there are a handful of contradictory reading order lists out there for the Dawn of X books. It was part of my main challenge in starting up this project, was like, okay, well, how do I follow this? Do I, do I go by release date? 
Do I go by this one on this one wiki? Do I go by this one on this fan site? Do I go to this one that has like all six issues of Excalibur as the first thing that ever happens and then move on from there? And you know, if you stop to think about it, it's stupid as hell, isn't it? I mean, these books should be meant to be read as, I don't know, maybe that you know, when they're coming out, maybe, right? It stands to reason. And I've railed on about how many editors these books have. <laughs> give, a, give us a way to read these things. All right, let, let's put a pin in that. We'll talk about some good points out of this issue. The art is mostly really good. Though, there are bits where Cubit somehow slips into like a Humberto Rainbow style, which really, really doesn't work. <laughs> uh, you know, I like Humberto Ramos, but uh, it looks very, very stretchy and cartoony here, which just isn't to Cubit's strengths. I don't know if maybe that's a way of demarking when a character's under the influence of the Pale Girl. Maybe it was a little bit of a time crunch and you just had to get the, paper, the, the, you know, the pencils down. I, I don't know. Uh, I also really like this Bannister guy. I, I'd say I hope he won't be dead long, but I'm not worried. Because I figure he'll probably be revealed that he's still alive probably in the next couple of pages of Wolverine we read. So it's like the stakes are gone even with human deaths. Uh, the Pale Girl, it's a cool design, I guess. Uh, but the idea of a phantom drug pusher, I, I don't know. <laughs> not, 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 what I'm, not what I'm looking for out of this book. Um... I probably ought to mention the opening scene where the Marauders were dumping the petals into the Pacific, and it took a few read-throughs of that because I wasn't sure if this was something that was actually happening or not. Like, were the Marauders manipulated by the Pale Girl? Was it just Bishop who was manipulated by the Pale Girl and he was just seeing a vision? It wasn't made all that clear, at least not to me, and I can be kind of dense sometimes. I think I might assume that this was just a vision that Bishop had, right? Especially if we consider the way it ended with Zombie Kitty dragging him underwater. Though, I mean, at the same time, I'm st I still wouldn't say with 100% certainty that the whole scene was just a vision. But, I don't know, just wasn't clear. Wasn't clear to the point where, uh, where I was able to follow it. But again, I could be very, very dense. Overall, um, I mean, what can I say? This felt like a, like a chapter two of a story, which... I guess that makes it makes it a success, right? I mean, because it was a chapter two. So I guess if you're digging Wolverine, this is more of him. <laughs> probably not mandatory reading for folks passively keeping up with Dawn of X, but probably not something that's going to make you all that mad if you decide to grab it on a lark. It is, uh, it has the nuts and bolts. It is a, uh, well, if you buy the physical version, it is paper folded in half with staples, you know, saddle stapled comics book. Um, I think that's all I have to say about Wolverine number two, but before we get out of here, let's dip into the mailbag here. We're going to start with Damien. He's talking about X-Men number eight, and he says, one of my weird little habits is that when I go on holiday to a foreign country, I like, I try, I like to try and pick up a local comic. About 15 years ago, I went on, holi on holiday to Turkey and picked up an anthology title called Strip, which was entirely in Turkish, but there were two stories in it that I could understand because of how clear the art was. One was drawn by Yildare Sinar, and the other was drawn by Mahmoud Asar, Azrar. Because of this, I've always considered Azrar to be one of my artists, and I've been delighted to see his progression through the industry. I was so glad to see him appear on X-Men. From the first issue, I felt that Lionel Yu is the wrong artist for this book, and I'm so glad that Ezra is sticking around on X-Men. 
Because I'm, I'm ahead of you in continuity, I've already seen some of his work on X of Tens, which is phenomenal. The Stasis book is drawn by Azrar and Pepe Larez, and it's po- possibly the best-drawn book out of the whole Hox, Pox, Doc, Sox era. And that's including work by Rod Reese, Alan Davis, and Russell Dodderman, which has blown my Hox, Pox, Doc, Socks off. And that's awesome. Um, I'm so happy to hear that Azrar is going to continue and continue to kill it. Uh, because this was a beautiful, beautiful book. And that's so funny that you mentioned Strip. Because just as I'm recording this, just yesterday, I was at a used record store. And they have they have like a garbage section, basically. It's stuff, it's like a last chance section. And it's an oversized, it's like a magazine-sized long box full of just stuff. You know, you might find some DC 100-page giants from Walmart in there. You might find, you know, a Rolling Stone magazine. You might find some fan, Fantag, Fantagoria or whatever it is. I probably just annoyed a lot of people by mispronouncing that. I don't remember what it is, though. Um, and also, I found a couple of issues of Strip in there. And I didn't know what it was. I'd never seen it before, and I didn't grab them. But now I'm thinking that I might have to go back to the record store and grab those issues of Strip just to see what they're all about. That's really, really cool. Um, yeah, and the art here... I mean, we've we've talked. Uh, Lionel Yu, uh, he's a fine artist, just not not a good fit for this sort of a book. And uh, Azrar, oh boy, really, really good stuff. Uh, Damien continues... This issue, issue 8, is a perfect example of the Dawn of X era. It's quite good, but it doesn't feel extraordinary. Following on the heels of number 6 and number 7, it feels hollow. There's so much to be explored, but instead let's have a space adventure. In many runs, this would be a standout story, but we've been primed for the extraordinary, so we walk away disappointed. And that's a very good point, and I wonder how I would have received this had we not come off of 6 and 7, because 6 and 7 were just... They were amazing stories, and they were just so deep, and they they elicited, or solicited, or however you say that, they, they, they brought just so much, they invited analysis, you know, they invited deeper thought on, on, on different levels, inside and outside the book. Whereas here, it's just like, you know, Hickman's gotta be Hickman, and we gotta do some space crap. <laughs> and I, you know, the brood are cool, but at the same time, it's just like, yeah, it feels hollow. Hollow is probably the best word for it. I think you're you're dead on right there. Uh, Damien wraps up with, This is the kind of issue that made me decide I could wait six months to read this on Marvel Unlimited. Although, since I made that decision, they have seemed to have reduced my wait to three months, with the knowledge that I'll hear about the special issues online so I'll know which ones are worth buying. And that's an excellent point as well. Um... I talked the other day about, like, which books were red books, you know, the red books in the checklist, and, uh... And, you know, if you did mark red books in the, the reading lists here, it would be easy to tell which books weren't worth our time. And uh, I, I definitely do not think that X-Men number 8 would have been a red book, uh, just like I don't think Wolverine number 2 would have been a red book. But uh, I'm happy that they... I'm happy that, you know, these are available on Marvel Unlimited just to catch up on. And, I mean, you'll you'll know if you like it or not and whether or not it's worth actually going and buying a physical copy or, or a permanent digital copy or however you want to do it. So that's, that's really, really cool. And one more thing I wanted to go back to. You said that this is a perfect example of the Dawn of X era, which is spot on to me. Um, I, I think, and I, and I hope it hasn't been too obvious, but... 
some of these last few books we've covered have just been very procedural and very water tready. You know, it was just un unexceptional, uninspired, unimportant feeling issues when compared to the more inspired issues, which it is emblematic of this entire era and possibly of you know just current year comics. I I really wouldn't know. I, I don't read very many outside of this uh, line, but. Uh, yeah, I mean, I didn't hate it. I was just, uh, I was just disappointed. And sometimes that's a that's an even worse thing, I guess, right? You know, when your when your parents, you know, there's a difference between when your parents yell at you and when they just quietly tell you they're disappointed. One one hurts a little bit deeper, and I think that's that might be the example here with this uh, this brood issue. That I guess we'll find out next episode whether or not that story even continues, or if they move on to something else. I, I I don't know, but uh, we'll see. We'll see. But uh, thank you so much for sharing your thoughts, Damien. It's always a pleasure. Uh, next up, Mark Green Lantern HG is talking about Major X and Giant Size Nightcrawler. He says, "Great last two episodes, Major X. I don't have anything to say, which is perfect because what what can you say about Major X? Um, I, I heard from my friend uh, Chris Bailey just a little while ago before I started recording, and he said that." Listening to Major X lapsed is kind of like listening to like a descent into madness because we started out so high, or I started out so high on it, or at least at a neutral position with it, and then it just every issue just kept getting more and more insane and uh, and just trying to make sense of it all. It's it's been it's been interesting. Uh, and Mark continues, I was expecting more Nightcrawler and Giant Size Nightcrawler, but oh well. <laughs> And he said, and you get you you got me with getting a warm feeling when we interact with someone else's comment. But you made this wonderful community, so it's no surprise. Great job. Well, thank you, thank you so much. And I also was expecting a lot more Nightcrawler in that issue, which uh, we didn't get. But uh, but yes, to to your final point here, it's it's always so cool when uh, when listeners interact with one another and. Uh, and we get some questions asked, and we, we exchange ideas. It's always so, so awesome. But uh, thank you so much for reaching out, Mark. It's, it's always great to hear from you. Next, Andrew Franklin is talking about Giant Size Nightcrawler and actually answering uh, another listener here. Uh, Pat uh, asked a question the other day, so uh, he is going to answer it here. Uh, Andrew Franklin, regarding Giant Size Nightcrawler, he says, Pointless was a good description of this, and... Sad but true. Sad but true. I didn't see much of a point to it. Um, all we got out of it was Lady Mastermind, who was already on Krakoa. So, I don't know. And to answer Pat's question about villains, he, Pat had asked who the X-Men's villains were going to be here, since all the bad guys are on the good guys team now. What's the threat? Who are the bad guys? And uh, Andrew Franklin says... I would like it if my favorite ex-villain, the immortal racist robo-spider Cameron Hodge, came back in a big way. Cameron Hodge is a very good pick. He's a really good pick, and I could actually see it happening. Um, you know, Cameron Hodge, he got really uh, tied up, literally and figuratively, with the phalanx uh, back in the mid-90s or so. And I think every time we've seen him back, he's had a little bit of techno-organic muck on him. And we read in Hoxpox that there is a phalanx thing somewhere in the future. Who's to say that with the machinations of the Dawn of X landscape that that isn't pushed forward? Uh, we're talking about how we have Doug and Warlock, and they're trying to interact with the island, but it's a big secret as to what he's trying to accomplish. 
It's also this weird unspoken secret, you know, this wink, wink, nudge, nudge secret that Warlock is there in the first place. So, you know what? I could definitely see Cameron Hudge coming back in a big way. He isn't a mutant, so he wouldn't have any reason to be on the mutant side. He hates mutants, so that gives him even more reason not to team up with the mutants. And he's tied in with the phalanx. We already have Warlock on the island, and we know that there are phalanx somewhere on the horizon. That's a very, very, very good call-out. So I'd like to see that as well. I would definitely like to see that as well. I... I think I had personally blown Cameron Hodge up as being more important than he was because I realized I had his first appearance. Uh, I, I had bought uh, the back issue that had his first appearance, and I, I think it might have been X-Factor number one. And uh, when I found out I had his first appearance, it made him one of the most important villains in uh, in all of X-Men and Marvel lore, So, which is kind of silly, but at the same time... It is what it is. Uh, but thank you, Andrew, for uh, for engaging and uh, and for keeping along with the uh, program. Next up, Ed Moore is addressing our continuity discussion from last issue. I kind of went on a on a rant about continuity and how important I feel like it is, and how it's more of a tool than a crutch. Or not? Is that how I put it? <laughs> Maybe it's... I don't remember the words I used. I, I think I used someone else's words, which was probably why they made sense. But uh, Ed says, I'm a big continuity fan myself. I look at it as my reward for having stayed with the property throughout all the things I didn't like. Creators, story, price, etc. To dismiss continuity is to dismiss the things I've sacrificed in sticking with the property. Well put. Very, very well put. Um, That's something that... Uh, that's something that I've talked about, not only from you know a comic fan to comic fan perspective, but from like a media to media or a uh, fandom gestalt or a fandom focus uh, with outside of different fandoms. What I'm trying to say here, I remember uh, Reggie and I did a discussion on we discussed. The four different kinds of fans And uh, this is something I've talked about a lot So apologies if I'm repeating myself here On this program But there was a a man who would mention That there are four different kinds of fandoms uh, Out there in the world The first fandom is the fandom that will always be there Whatever you do So in our instance of course this is comic books So comics fans From group one Will always be here for comics Group two is only there when things are good. So comics fans who like good comics will be here for for when they're good. Three is the stunty, you know, event-driven sort of thing. You know, the big names creatively, the uh, big crossover events. You're going to have a segment of the fandom who only comes for that. And then the fourth fandom are the people who will never read a comic book, so don't waste your time with them. Marvel, DC... Every fandom, they want that fourth group, and they're not coming. You know, I I talk about, you know, continuity and how it's hard to get into some things, but at the same time, I appreciate that. Uh, I think the way I compared it there is, is by saying that I don't have much interest in Doctor Who. You know, Doctor Who is a huge, huge phenomenon, and it's something that I know about, and it's something that I think it would be cool to know more about, I'm not about to put in the effort to do it. So would it help the showrunners and the creators and the writers of Doctor Who to write a story for me who's not coming? 
Or do they keep working with their rich history and their rich continuity to reward the people who do put in the effort? The, pe- the, the new fans who come in and learn everything from bottom to top, and the fans who have been there for decades just, just loving the directions and, and hating some of the directions as well, but just acknowledging and appreciating it. You know, I feel like it's, it's a show of respect to keep continuity and it's also a show of respect to come into a new franchise, a new medium, a new a new fandom with an openness to learn. Um, and I mean, that sounds very, very old man. It probably sounds very, what's the word, the gatekeeper. I think that's one of the things that uh, they like to they like to call older fans as gatekeepers, even though I, I ain't keeping anybody out. Um, I, I feel like if you're going to put in the effort, and it's never been easier. Than it is right now, right? I mean, okay, we have in this very issue of Wolverine, we have Millie, what's her face, the uh, Meredith Millie, the, the the pale girl. I could Google that, and I could find out everything I need to know about her. I could find out what happens at any point in her existence. Say I don't know something about Wolverine, I Google Wolverine. I can find out everything I need to know about Wolverine here. It's, you know, I, I hate to say back in my day, but. Back in my day, we didn't have this. We had to actually put in effort. We actually had to put money on the table to learn this stuff. And um, so it's never been easier to follow up, to, to keep on in continuity. And at the same time, it's when we're the most lapsed in continuity. I, I just don't understand it. It feels very, very disjointed in that everything's there for us. And the effort to get into it is minimal by comparison and still... We can't do it. We're still reaching out for that fourth fandom who would uh, rather set a comic book on fire than actually read it. And uh, that's just where we are. But I am definitely with you. To uh, Continuity is definitely a reward for the people who are there. And if used cleverly enough, the people who don't get the references won't feel like they're missing anything. You know? If, if you put an Easter egg in there, if you put a callback in there, New people will just accept it for what it is, but us seasoned fans will see it for a little bit more. That doesn't hurt anybody. It doesn't ruin anybody's experience. If anything, it helps everybody's experience. So continuity is a tool and it's an opportunity and uh, shouldn't shouldn't be swept under the rug. But uh, thank you for sharing your thoughts. Ed. I know continuity is a dicey subject. I know there's a lot of very strong opinions both ways, and I know... I mean, clearly, I'm part of one of those camps. So uh, thank you for sharing your thoughts here. Anybody else wants to share their thoughts on continuity, please feel free to do so. Even And especially if you disagree with me, I'd like to, I, I'd like to have the discussion. I'm not going to, I don't think anybody's going to convince anybody. But uh, it's, I think it's still a fun discussion to have and an exchange of ideas. But uh, we're going to wrap up with uh, Evan Bevins, who's asking about the Books Club. Now he says, I just finished episode 26. Did you ever get the Fallen Angels Books Club up and running? That's a title I've been aware of and curious about for years, yet never got around to reading. I believe Warlock was part of, was part of it. Uh, if I can find a trade or some back issues, I look forward to following along. To which, I'd still love to do it. Um, it never really got off the ground. Uh, there was a bit of excitement on, on social media when I started to kind of hint that that was the direction I wanted to go for a little side project, but maybe I just didn't keep up with it the way I should have. Maybe I didn't push as hard as I could. 
Um, but it kind of just it kind of just fizzled. I'm still open to doing it. I think it could be a really good time if we're all part of this. Uh, part of this yeah, with this, it'll be interesting because, I mean, I think some people might have just read it recently. Some people probably have never read it. Some people may have read it years and years ago. I think we're gonna get a lot of interesting conversation out of it. So maybe we'll maybe we'll keep that uh, somewhere on the back burner. Hopefully, one of these days get around to it. Uh, Evan continues, I love the idea of a Christmas on Infinite Earths series. You no doubt have more than enough to choose from, but I will nonetheless suggest two of my favorite comics. Not just Christmas comics, but favorite issues, period. They are Marvel 2-in-1 number 8, where the Thing and Ghost Rider fight an obscure Fantastic Four villain trying to recreate the nativity on Christmas Eve. Huh, I never heard of that one. That's That sounds interesting. And Uncanny X-Men number three, uh, 230, where the X-Men use Longshot and Gateway's powers to return a mountain of loot the Reaver stole on in a single night, Christmas Eve. That one I am familiar with, and that one would be a fun one to cover as well. I don't know. Every year I do a Christmas on Infinite Earths thing. It's usually, well, it's always a blog thing. I do the 12 days of Christmas on Infinite Earths, and uh, the first year I did that, I'm, I'm not good at reading calendars, so it was actually 13 days of Christmas on Infinite Earths, but I am definitely considering breaking up December in doing some some Christmas stuff and maybe keeping it on going on throughout the year just as a uh, I don't know just as a fun little aside a little flavor to uh, to the to the year coming. Um, so I don't know if it'll be Christmas on Infinite Earths or if maybe it'll be like X Miss Lapsed. We'll we'll play it by ear and we'll see how it goes. But uh, definitely appreciate the suggestions and we'll keep them in mind if. Uh, if we do get rolling on that But uh, I think that's probably where we'll leave it for today I want to thank everybody for uh, reaching out And sharing their thoughts and their time uh, If you'd like to get a hold of me You could do so at Ace Comics on Twitter Or at WeirdComicsHistory at gmail.com uh, You can find show notes and blog posts At ChrisIsOnInfiniteEarths.com And xlapsed.chrisisoninfiniteearths.com. You can chat with us about whatever the hell you want At uh, 90sXmen on Facebook and you can check out the entire Chris and Reggie audio archives at chrisandreggie.podbean.com, where just the other day we broke 100,000 downloads, which I thank you all so much for helping out with. That's a, it's a huge milestone, and uh, I anxiously await getting my little my little sticker from uh, from Podbean where they acknowledge our uh, our standing, which. We got it for our 50,000, and uh, it's going to be neat to get our 100 as well. But that's where we'll leave it for today. Uh, one more giant thank you to everyone for sharing your time with me today. And uh, till next time, as always, I'll talk to you again real soon. See ya. Oh